We're going to be in a passage uh, in Genesis 21 here in just a moment related to Sarah having a baby. And I wanted to add to Steve and Grace's announcement that our daughter Adrian and her husband Roy are also expecting a baby uh, in May. Good thing. It's a baby kind of a morning. This is a good thing. Hey, let me pray again just for a second, just as we head into the Scriptures. Lord, we know that Your Word is truth, and we know You use the truth to set our souls free. And Lord, we collectively ask Your Spirit to so apply the truth of the Scriptures this morning that we enter into and enjoy the kind of freedom You mean for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a movie maybe you saw, 10 years old now, uh, made in 2000 called The Castaway with Tom Hanks. It was critically acclaimed, and I don't think he won Best Actor, but I think he was nominated for Best Actor for this movie. You know, it's, I think it's an hour and change, almost two and a half hours of watching a guy sort of survive on a desert island. Not most people's idea, you know, of a compelling, moving movie. But uh, Tom Hanks' figure in this movie, he's a FedEx guy and he's a systems analyst. He's an expert at efficiency. And so he leaves his significant other moment's notice, flies towards Malaysia on a FedEx plane. And in a terrible storm, his plane goes down. And he's the sole survivor of the crew. And he's eventually washed ashore onto this island. He's the solitary person on it. And for four years, that's most of the movie, for four years, he endures and survives on this island. And it sort of looked like life had passed him by. You know, he's a guy doing his normal thing, planning on getting married to a gal he's living with, and, and somehow it's all over in a moment. Four years later, he's rescued. And he goes back to sort of pick up the pieces of his life, and he goes back to find a significant other, and she's married and has a child. And he realizes that phase of life and the, the future that he thought she represented, that's toast, it's history, it's over and gone. While he was on the island, some of the goods, some of the packages from the plane washed ashore, and he used some of those, and famously used a soccer ball, put a print on it, Mr. Wilson became his compatriot he shared enthusiastic conversations with. But one package had these uh, wings on it. And, he, and of all the FedEx packages, he saved one, and he decided he was going to deliver that package. Good FedEx man, four years later, four years late, he's going to deliver that package. And so as the movie is winding down, Tom Hanks drives out sort of in the middle of the country, middle of nowhere, finds this house, knocks on the door, nobody's home. He leaves his package at the door. And as he's driving away, he comes to an intersection, and he, he's trying to figure out where the rest of his life is going. He's at an intersection in the middle of nowhere, and that represents his life to, what do I do? Life as I knew it is over. Everything I thought about happening is gone. What do I do? Pickup truck comes by with a lovely woman in it. And she asks, you know, are you lost? Do you need directions? And, well, you know, where do these roads go? And as she drives away, he sees on the back of her, truck window, the same wing images that were on his package. And he realizes that's her house back there. 
And you sort of get the feeling as Hank smiles that we're to understand that that woman that he just met represents his future. And the crossroads of his life has just been answered as he sees her. And the package that was four years late, on one hand, was on another way delivered right on time. And the package and that woman represented his future. It looked like all was lost, but right on time, four years late, package shows up and that's the answer to his future. That's a way of introducing Genesis 21, verses 1 through 8. That's where we'll park this morning. Uh, Chapter 20, what we looked at last week, an odd passage in which our hero sort of looks like, if not the villain, he was the low guy. You know, it was Abraham's lack of protecting his wife and telling all the truth that put Sarah in harm's way. She ended up uh, landing in uh, good King Abimelech's harem because he didn't know she was married. That all got resolved, and our, their story continues this morning. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord, that's all caps probably in your Bible too. That means Yahweh, God's personal name. Then Yahweh, or the Lord, took note of Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. In Hebrew, we'd say Yitzhak. And Yitzhak means laughter. He called his son laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. We're going to look at four elements of this story, three primarily, the three key characters in this section. Look at the Lord, Abraham, and Sarah. First, looking at the Lord, verses 2 and 3, it says, God took note of Sarah as he had said. He did for Sarah as he had promised at the appointed time of which God had spoken. I don't know if this passage sounds anticlimactic to you guys or not. It does to me. These guys have been waiting a long time for a baby, and all of a sudden it's there, and it's just sort of matter of fact. But put yourself in their shoes for just a second and just figure out, think about the timeline involved here. So when Abraham and Sarah are back in the land of Ur and Haran, they're living most of their life out. You know, in Genesis 12, when Abraham gets God's call, Abraham's 75 years old, and Sarah's 65 years old. They've lived most of their life already before God taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, come over here. So think of this. They were a normal Middle Eastern couple. They wanted to have kids in the worst way. So let's just assume Sarah's 20 and Abraham's 30 when they get married. You know, their expectation would be, we're going to get married, and we're going to get pregnant, And so the first year comes and goes and no baby. And the second year comes and goes and no baby. And then year after year 
and then decade after decade. And you know, by Genesis 12, when Sarah's 65 years old, I think she's probably been waiting for a baby for about 45 years or so, round numbers. She's waited over four decades for a baby, and it hasn't happened. And when she's 65 and Abraham's 75, and God says, hey, got a mission for you. I want you to leave this place you're at. Come over to this other place I'll show you. And he told Abraham specifically, I'll make you into a great nation. Childless guy and gal, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It implies children, doesn't it? They're 75 and 65. A little later, Genesis 15, God says, hey, come out and look at the stars. Think of the sand on the sea. He said, you're going to have that many children. But you know, the call, this is 25 years ago from this story. And you know, they're getting impatient. You guys remember? And Sarah comes up with a bright idea. You know, maybe God meant us to have that child He promised us through Hagar. It's 15 years since they took things into their own hands and Hagar and Abraham together produced Ishmael. 15 years. And it's been one year since God showed up with a couple of angels and said, a year from now, I'm going to come back and Sarah's going to have a baby. That's been a year too. So just think about this. Slow way down in our minds. Slow way, way down. And just think about how long the wait was for this old couple to get this little child, this little boy. They'd sort of waited forever. And you know, if you picked up your Bible and you started at Genesis 12 and you read through Genesis 25, you'd read all of the story of Sarah and Abraham. And you could do that in less than an hour. And we read a story like this And it's one event after another, and it's almost anticlimactic. But if you were in their shoes, waiting and wait, you know, think of hopelessness, despair, frustration, questions, even with God's promise, thinking you misheard, or thinking He'll do it this way, and He says, nope, that's not it. And you're scratching your head. This would be a very difficult thing to wait through and to work through and to live through. And we've got to put ourselves in their shoes if we're going to feel the weight of it at all. After all the waiting, after all the years of disappointment and frustration and questions, the text says of God, I did what I said. I did what I promised right on time. Right on time. Not early, not late right on time. You know, we are generally a very impatient lot. I mean, in our day and age, in our culture, pretty much most of what we want, we can get. If I want a book from Amazon.com, I order it today. It's at my house in two days or whatever. Or we instant message and text each other and we don't have to wait to cook food. We go to the drive-in, whatever. You know, we can get pretty much what we want when we want. And we are not a culture, as Christians either, we are not a culture that's used to waiting on God to deliver the goods. We get what we want when we want it. And you know what? More often than not, in the things that really matter, God does not work on our timetable. And He is not our waiter answering our bell, saying, this is what I'll have, this is how how I'll have it, 
And yes, I'd like that now. God is working from eternity and He's working to eternity. And our very small, minuscule time frames we measure life in, that's not God's priority. It's not the way He typically works. Not the way at all. Typically, long waits in doing what God's going to do. And yet, the story's a great reminder, God always does what He says He'll do. And you can count on that. God always keeps His promises. You can live by those. And God always performs His Word at just the right time. Not early, not late, just right. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Just as a point of application, just ask yourself this morning, what are you waiting on? I know some of you, and I know some of the things some are waiting on, but are you waiting to get married? You want to get married? Are you waiting to get married? And you're sort of wondering, Lord... When's that going to happen? I'm ready. I've been ready. When's that going to happen? I'm waiting. Or if you're married and you want children and the children aren't coming, is that something you're waiting on God for? Lord, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm hanging out there. I'm praying. I'm doing what I know to do. You know, some of us would like to change our jobs, get a better job. Some of us I know, we are waiting for frustrations like pain to be diminished or loneliness. And because most things in our culture are available to us at the moment, in an instant, but these aren't, a lot of times we just don't know how to handle this. And stories like this are a great reminder that the things in life that really matter typically require God to intervene for us and require us to wait on God's perfect timing. To wait on God's timing. And there's going to be seasons of frustration and impatience, no doubt, and questions, and we're wondering. But at the end of the day, God's good to His Word. You can count on it. You can live by His promises. And God delivers His promises right on time. And so, if you're thinking about elements of frustration in your own life, things that you don't have the ability to perform on your own, you give those to God in prayer. If they are things God's made promises about specifically, you can hang your hat on those. Sarah and Abraham, they'd waited almost all of their life for this moment, for the fulfillment of this promise, almost a lifetime before God delivered the baby. And he said, he's right on time. He's not late. Isaac's here at just the right time. Waiting on God is one of the most difficult things humans do on one hand, and the other, it's also one of the most rewarding. We'll look at Abraham in verses 3, 4, and 8. Abraham did three things in this short story. He called the name of his son Isaac, or Yitzhak, or laughter, as God commanded, the text says circumcised his son as God commanded, and he made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, I don't know if you guys are like I've been in the past at times. You get a present you've really wanted. Something occurs that you're really, really hanging your hat on. You're really ready for it to occur. And you forget to say thanks. You turn around. You run away with the present. Good to go. Give me my bike or whatever. 
my we or I don't know, whatever, whatever it is you hang your hat on. We get it, we run because we're happy to have it. We forget to turn around and say thanks to the one who gave it to us. You know, in chapter 20, Abraham was sort of at a low point, not telling all the truth, not doing right by his wife, protecting her. But he's back on his game when God fulfills the promise and you see Isaac. So he's remembering that not only was this the boy God promised, but that this little child came with strings attached. And so what you see Abraham doing here is what God commanded. He called his son Isaac. He circumcised him. The last thing is, and he celebrated over him. Genesis 17, 19, God had said, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you're to call his name Isaac. This was not up for discussion. You know, if you're a young couple, one of the things you spend a lot of time on is thinking about the name of that little baby. If it's a girl... These are our options. If it's a boy, these are our options. There was no option. God says, when the little feller comes, this is his name. Don't forget that. Write it down. His name is to be Laughter, Isaac. Genesis 17, again, God also, if you remember, had called Abraham into that covenant with God. And he said, Abraham, you are to keep my covenant. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. It's a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. So Abraham gets the son he's been waiting for forever, and he doesn't forget. He does exactly what God told him to. Calls him Isaac, circumcises him on the eighth day. I want to mention something that I won't develop fully. There's simply not time. But Abraham, again, is just an outstanding example of a parent of a parent, and by that I mean here this morning, he's bringing, he's not only obeying God, when he circumcises Isaac, he's bringing Isaac in the way he's able to into the covenant relationship with God that he was called to. Now, we're not circumcising baby boys today as a sign of the covenant, but as parents, we are called to bring our children with us as Christian parents bring them with us into the new covenant, Jesus Christ, as instituted by His blood. It's not through circumcision, obviously. It's not a physical act we can perform. But as parents, you see Abraham bringing his son into covenant relationship with God. And as parents today, under a new covenant, a better covenant, the first priority we have, God isn't telling us all how to name our children, but we're to bring our children into that new covenant relationship with the living God through faith in Christ. We can't do that on our own. Abraham could take this little fellow out and circumcise him. That was bringing Isaac under the covenant. That's not what we do today. It's not an act that we perform on our children, but we pray for them and we teach them the scriptures and we live a circumcised life before them. And we invite them through faith to join us in a new covenant relationship with the living God through faith in Christ. And Abraham is just an outstanding example of this. I just wanted to mention that this morning. If you're a parent, and especially if you're a father, there's that huge responsibility of leading your children into that covenant relationship with God. So when Abraham gets the little fella, called him Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day, I don't know if you find it interesting. 
The celebration is when Isaac is weaned. Now, that's not really a part of the delivery or the birth of the son, is it? This could be two years later, Middle Eastern times. It could be four years later. So two to four years later, let's say, little Isaac is weaned, but it's included here. I wonder why that is. Why do we have a story appended on this one that's got to be two to four years later? My take is this, that God's reminding Abraham and he's reminding us through him, God's promise fulfilled in God's way and time brings joy and celebration and laughter. God's promise fulfilled in His time, in His way, it brings joy. It brings literally, in this boy's case, laughter, Isaac, but it brings celebration. When you hold out for God to fulfill His promise, to do what He said He'll do, when you've waited on God and He comes through, you never regret waiting. And there's a sense of joy and celebration because God's done what He said He would His way, and that's always the best thing, always the best. You see, Sarah's interaction here in verses 6 and 7, Sarah spoke two times. She said, God has made laughter for me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Now, she brings up the theme of laughter again. And you remember, if you go back into the stories we've already been through, laughter's been a theme here, hasn't it? Different kinds of laughter. So back in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed in incredulity when God said, Sarah is going to have a son. That was laughter of a sort. Later, Genesis 18, 12, Sarah laughed to herself, the Scripture was clear, in unbelief when God said, you're old, but you're still going to have a son. She laughed in unbelief. This laughter is of an entirely different sort. It's relief, I'm sure. It's promises kept. It's joy fulfilled. So laughter's been a theme throughout. But at the end of the day, God has the last laugh. He has the best laugh. And it's Isaac delivered right on time. There's a verse in Proverbs 10.22 that says this, It's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. That when God's in a thing, when He gives a gift, when He gives the blessing, there's no sorrow to it. And God's blessing had come, and it was all joy, it was all laughter, it was all celebration. There was no downside in it when Isaac finally comes. She's rejoicing in what God had done. Close out on this fourth point. Why do you think it is that God made Abraham and Sarah wait so long to have a baby boy? Why in the world would he delay them? Why would God frustrate them? Why would he withhold this good thing from them most of their lifetime? Why would he do that? I'm going to suggest an answer, and it's this. He wanted everyone to know that Isaac had come from a woman who could not possibly naturally have had that child. You know, if you read Abraham's story later, you know Abraham's 100 years old, and we marvel. A 100-year-old man has a baby. That's not the miracle here. Abraham is not the miracle. Because you know if you read the rest of his story, Sarah dies, right? And old Abraham does what? He remarries, and he has more kids. Wow. I thought the miracle was Abraham, the old guy. Nope. The miracle of this birth is Sarah. It's not Abraham. 
He'll have more children well past 100 years old. So the miracle here is not the husband, it's the wife. It's not the man, it's the woman. A woman past menopause by a ways, a woman who could not possibly physically by the laws of nature have a baby boy does. And God had promised it. He had said it was going to happen. He said it would happen in his timetable. And it does. That sounds vaguely familiar to me. Does it sound familiar to you? You know, I know we're in the still in October, but of course Christmas is just around the corner, right? <laughs> the advertising will be anyway. Halloween and then Christmas. I think that's the way that goes. Or Christmas ads get mixed in with the Halloween ads or whatever. But anyway, think of this. A virgin gives birth to a son of promise. That's the Christmas story, isn't it? A woman who could not possibly give birth to a son does. And not only does, but does so after a prolonged period of waiting. You know, one of the Christmas hymns says, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come, thou long, emphasis on long, expected Jesus. There's absolutely no doubt in Mary's case that the Son of God has come at just the right time. Just like Sarah and Abraham. Because God took note of little Mary, just like he did Sarah. And God kept his promise to Abraham and the patriarchs and the nation and the world just as he said he would. And he sent his son into the world at just the right time through a woman who could not possibly physically have that son. God took thousands of years to do what he'd promised to do. And you know, if you go back to Genesis 3.15, that's the first promise, the seed of the woman. Eve's Eve, eventually, through her children, will have a son, and he'll crush the serpent's head. And yet it's thousands of years before that's fulfilled. And I think Abraham and Sarah and their long, long wait were meant to be reminders to the world that God would keep that promise he made in Genesis 3.15, that a son of promise would come. And there would be no doubt that it was his doing because the son would come from a woman who could not possibly have produced him. That the son of promise would be a son that flesh and blood alone could not produce. That it would take an act of God for this woman to have the son. It was no mere mortal act. No matter how long it took, no matter how many years rolled by, God would be good to his word as he was to Abraham and Sarah and that the child he gave would not be a child that mankind on its own could produce, it would be clear that the child was supernaturally given. And when you think of all the waiting, think of another Christmas hymn, O holy night, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Emphasis again on long. long this is an understatement. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And yet, you know, if you turn to the New Testament and you go to Galatians 4, 4, Paul says this, when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son born of a woman. God says Jesus didn't come late. He came right on time. 
As God measures time, when the fullness of time had been filled up, God sent Jesus into the world. And he told Abraham and Sarah, they'd waited decades, most of their life, God had not shown up late. Isaac was not given at the wrong time. God hadn't made a mistake. There wasn't a delay in shipping. Isaac came right on time. And that was a reminder to the world that God would ultimately keep His promise in sending the ultimate son of promise through a woman who could not possibly have him otherwise. I think that's the message of Abraham and Sarah. A virgin gives birth to a son, the Savior of the world, one who sets prisoners free and gives laughter instead of sorrow. One of the last things I walk away with from this story is this. You and I, we are part of a story that's bigger than us. You know, and one of the things that happens, we get so focused on what we want now that we forget that our lives and our lifetime, they're part of a much, much bigger story. And we're not in control of all the details of that story. And God is working for bigger purposes than I'm generally thinking about. And those larger purposes require me to wait and to be patient. And if there are areas in your life in which you're waiting on God to fulfill a promise, or you have that element in your life that's not what you want, and yet you can't do anything about it, the best thing you can do is to hang your hat on God's promises and wait expectantly for Him to act on your behalf. And guys, for some of us, some of these things aren't going to be things that we actually see answered in this lifetime because we're eternal creatures destined for eternity. Some of our hopes and desires may not be fulfilled until we see Christ face to face and step into eternity with Him. Some sense of ultimate fulfillment or joy or some ultimate expectation realized may not happen in the lifetime we have here on the earth. Maybe reserved for us in heaven. Hard to say. But in, the, in your life, in those areas where you have an expectation of God to keep a promise, or you have that element in your life that you have no ability to control, the best thing we can do is give that thing to God, give that expectation to God, and wait expectantly and hopefully for Him because God always does what He says. You can count on it. God always keeps His promises. You can live by them. And God always performs His Word at just the right time. Let's pray. Lord, we are impatient creatures. And we're creatures of flesh. And we have that sense of frustration built in not only to our own world, but to our own bodies. Life, we, all things are not as they should be. And we... We chafe under the discomfort of that, Lord. Father, help us give to You willingly, joyfully, expectantly the things that we hold dear and yet cannot procure for ourselves. Father, help us to entrust ourselves and our hopes and desires to a God who cannot lie, who's made promises to us that will be fulfilled, whether shortly or in eternity. Lord, thanks for the reminder from an old couple in Palestine 4,000 years ago that you do what you say, that you keep your promises, and they're always right on time. Lord, thanks ultimately for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.